greener on the other side. Caterpillar to a butterfly. It's green and growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. Back on the show, and I love when I'm able to have guest experts in the studio with me. So everybody say good morning to Trent Ellis, owner and founder of Armor Wildlife Management. So glad you came in. Yeah, no, it's been a blast. So I had you on the phone about a month or two ago. We were talking about snakes, but really your business the, the bulk of your business is deer repellent, but I kind of want to start with, I guess I could have done this at 7.30, uh, your background in wildlife. I mean, wildlife management lends itself much more to, uh, you know, a lot of things rather than just eradication. I mean, you obviously understand different critters and creatures and their habits and their, their patterns and things like that. So how did you get started in that? So I've been out in nature, hunting, fishing since I was a little kid. And um, so just growing up with that kind of atmosphere, you know, you you learn so much. Mm -hmm. And then um, just when you get into the actual wildlife of, you know, exclusions and nuisance removal and stuff like that, I mean, the training you get from day to day is so awesome. And um, it's just been amazing. And then adding this deer repellent side of it a few years ago, it was something that was really never on the radar. And so I was, I was doing some removals, um, during hunting season for some people in Johns Creek and, um, for some neighborhoods and they were wanting to kind of supplement throughout the year. And so, you know, just me doing my research, you know, I, I analyze everything. And so, um, you know, coming across the, the commercial grade repellents that I found, um, and contacting the owner of that manufacturing plant. Wow. And it's just been a great partnership. Um, you know, we're, we're basically, from what I understand, the first commercial-grade repellent company in the Southeast. Because you did the research. I mean, you found a niche, for sure. Now, is that chemical manufacturer anywhere close to here or somewhere far away? No, it's, it's manufactured up in Redding. Okay, Pennsylvania? Yeah. And so did you kind of do an interview with them and be like, look, I want to understand your chemical. I want to know how it works. And then they kind of have to sell you on, well, here's why you should use our stuff. Here's how it works. And you really got a good understanding of it. Yeah. So when I contacted the manufacturers, they were um, they were kind of taken away that, you know, somebody from Atlanta would want to start <laughs> buying their stuff. And because um, they've only ever had it up in that, you know, northeast part of um, the United States. And so... We kind of worked out to where, you know, we develop this program for the Southeast because it's completely different. Um, the travel patterns, the times of the year, everything is so different from the north. Oh, I'm sure. And so it's it's been a little bit of trial and error. But, I mean, just the success rate we've had um, over the last two years with protecting landscapes has been awesome. And you said the repellent kind of works twofold. First, it's a smell to repel them. And then once that fades away, it's more of a taste deterrent. But so what would you relate the smell to? Is it just that human scent that repels them? Or is it like, what what does it smell like to a deer? I guess is what I'm asking you. (laughs) So the summer mixture that we use, we use two mixtures. We use a summer mixture and a winter. And the summer mixture is a combination of putrescent whole egg solids, which is found in 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 a majority of the off the shelf deer repellents that, you know, a resident can purchase. Um, And then capsaicin, which is the chemical in a pepper that makes it hot. And so those two combined created this 
um, kind of concoction that that just works really well. And and um, you know the nice thing about it is the company that that started this is a nursery, so the inactive ingredients in these products benefit the plant. So they during the summer they retain uh, moisture, and so you don't get as much drought uh, damage from the sun. And then the winter mixture keeps uh, them from getting frostbit. Oh, wow. And so the inactive ingredients were specifically designed to benefit the health of the plant along with keeping the deer off. Yeah, that would be kind of counterproductive, I guess, if you came up with a deer repellent that then killed the plants because then, well, that takes care of the deer if the plants are dead. So, yeah, I mean, they had that in mind, that it's beneficial to the plants while doing its job keeping the deer away. Um, So what does a typical job look like for you if you get a call from a customer and they're having trouble with deer? You come out to the house, and where do you even begin? So we begin by centralizing where the location of the damage is. And so... um, you know, a lot of times these are these are homeowners that have been trying nets. They've been trying, um, you know, home remedies. They've been doing everything they can. Irish Spring soap, you see yes. that? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, they they've just tried everything they can find, and nothing is working. And so we come in and we do an analysis of the property. And once we find out what plants are being eaten, because we don't blanket spray the whole property. Um, you're still going to see deer coming through. You're still going to probably see droppings every now and then. Um, but really, we we centralize on the actual plants being eaten, the azaleas, the hostas, the uh, hydrangeas. Pansies in the fall. Mm-hmm. Yep. So we, we, we do that. And then if it's a heavily populated deer area, you know, we work with the homeowners to say, okay, you know, some of these plants just aren't working. Let's, let's see what we can plant to um, that the deer aren't as – appetized to eat. And, um, and so that's why it's a program that we create with the homeowner. Um, but that first application, you know, so we're spraying everything that I can see with damage and then things that, you know, just over the years we've learned that they do tend to eat. And so it can, it can range from, you know, 30 minutes to an hour, depending on how large the property is. Wow. And you mentioned too, off the air that, your company, Armor Wildlife Management, uh, also works with like HOA groups, you know, like yes. if, if HOA reaches out to you and says, well, all of our, you know, residents are being bothered, like you have to look at the bigger picture of their travel patterns and things, wouldn't you? Yes. Yeah, so a lot of these neighborhoods that I work in, um, they not only do we spray all of the common areas for the HOA, but we work with them on figuring out Again, their travel patterns, their sleep patterns, where are they bedding? If they have a fenced-in property for the HOA, you know, maintaining that fence and and just being in very close contact with the managers of the HOA to to help alleviate a lot of the problems that you get with deer. Now, is this something that you have to travel back to the neighborhood or to a customer's house a couple of times to really see these patterns? Or are you able to spend a few hours in one visit and really kind of take it all in and assess what you need to know? So when we're doing assessments on travel patterns and stuff like that, um, that's usually a little longer of a process. But when we're going to a client for the repellent, that is a three to four week rotation. Um, So it's a monthly service and it just basically dictates based on the pressure what it can be. 
Okay, I like that. 404-872-0750. So I've got a question for you here from Brent in Lawrenceville. We'll see another nuisance animal that we have not even talked about yet, Trent. Good morning, Brent. Welcome to the show. Good morning. I appreciate your show very much on both the plant side and now the animal side. Yeah, I'm loving this animal side. This is something (laughs) I don't talk about a lot. So thank you, Brent. You bet. Well, I, and I also liked uh, the fact that uh, the gentleman talked about how he analyzed to which of these uh, products are going to work and so on. As a scientist, uh, appreciate somebody who's interested in making sure it's all going to be good. So the, maybe the biggest question I have is, uh, are the things that you're finding actually going to work on vegetable gardens? So unfortunately, they have not been able to approve the product for uh, consumption consumption vegetables. So it's all okay. ornamental and turf at this moment, but I, there actually is a really good study. Um, I cannot remember the university off the top of my head, uh, um, but there's a study that they're actually using the commercial grade repellent on a bean crop. And um, and so it'll be a few more years probably before they can figure out um, the effects on it, but um, hopefully really good things to come for the vegetable side of it as well. All right. Well, that's my primary problem. I don't have uh, much of an issue with <clears throat> the uh, the uh, flower gardens and shrubs and all that. It's really the deer coming in, and, and uh, this only started, I've been here 18 years, and I have about six acres, so the back is supposedly the area I have for the deer to enjoy, <laughs> but... <laughs> They love to come in and, and because the garden is right by my house, but it's a fairly large garden and they'll mow uh, the last five years, I guess, I've had a hard time establishing a green bean crop because they keep mowing off the tops oh, and no. they'll just walk right down the row and, and mow them off. And for the first time ever this year, they've mowed off uh, most of my squash and, and okra. Oh no! A lot of the plants have survived, but you know, that's just an ongoing issue. And I bought a product at a local store and they assured me it would work as a as a repellent that you spray on and they promptly mowed things off after that as well so wow. that's one part yeah and, and the other part is the squirrels but i'll stop there and then talk about the squirrels in a minute uh, well, yeah understood i mean what is it the the box store stuff i mean some of it works it depends on the uh application that you're using it for but is it a concentration level trent that's just not making it effective you think yeah, so for it to be general use as a technical pesticide, um, it's got to have levels of the active ingredients that are um, under a threshold that the EPA allows residentials that do not have any proper training to use. Oh. And so, you know, when you're talking about a commercial grade from a uh, just a off the shelf, um, the concentrations are a lot higher. The uh, training and licenses required to even purchase that stuff is a lot higher. And so that's where you get the the difference in um, productivity and results. Okay. And Brent, you've got about maybe 30 seconds here. What did you want to mention or ask about the squirrels? To finish on that, mm-hmm. if you will, but, and then I'll go ahead with So there it probably isn't a product I could purchase despite the label in the store, as it sounds like. So please confirm that. But on the squirrel side, uh, I've always had trouble with them. So I, I raised sweet corn and, uh, you know, I hope to, to get a few ears out of the, the, uh, 50 or hundred plants that I have, and they'll just ravage that. I've tried to different ways to, I've tried <clears throat> things that you hear. You mentioned the soap thing. My mother loves that one, but I, I don't know if that, that works. <laughs> no. And, and uh, I've tried different types of, uh, spices that I sprinkle on them. I tried that spray, uh, but 
is there a way I can keep the, the squirrels from eating that corn? Okay, so we'll definitely tackle that, Trent, his question about that. Plus, like you said, just confirming, um, so we don't forget when we come back from the break, confirming you know, what on-the-shelf products um, could be effective or not. When we come back, time to take a quick break, and Brent will finish with you when we come back. You're listening to Green and Growing on WSB. Thank you, Scott. So Trent, our caller, Brent from Lawrenceville, had a really good question about, you know, the squirrels are going after the corn and then the deer are mowing down beans and all of that kind of thing. And off the air, you mentioned a a sleight of hand, something that a home gardener may do to kind of distract and bring the deer over here to distract from over. So how would would that work? Yeah. So if you've got a big enough piece of property, um, I have talked to some people, um, they do this on some golf courses, actually. And so if they're trying to grow a new patch of grass for the course um, and it's in a heavily deer populated area, they'll actually throw tons and tons of just deer corn on the opposite side of the property (laughs) to kind of keep them off of it just enough to where it matures. Mm -hmm. And so um, because once it once it takes root and it matures, then um, it's it's a lot harder for deer to actually damage it. Um, and so they've done that in the past. And then with the gardens, um, it's kind of the same concept, but you can almost create like a, just a hedge of just a, a cheap crop that, you know, on the outer rim of what you're planning to kind of alleviate them from going a little deeper. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, you know, with that kind of stuff, there's no guarantees, but it could keep them out of the center of your main garden long enough to, to get a good crop out of it. And as, in regards, Brent, to the squirrel eating your corn, um, Trent's got a thought on that. But I also thought, too, uh, malorganite is a good fertilizer, slow release, um, and it's got a, a heavy scent because it's made out of like compacted sewage and all of that by a company um, up in the Midwest. And in complement with the fertilization regimen you use on the corn, Malorganite might be a smelly enough fertilizer that's going to benefit the plant, but also maybe keep the squirrels away. But what were your thoughts on how much damage the squirrels could be doing? Yeah, I mean, unless you have like this huge number of squirrels in your area, um, the amount of damage they're going to cause to a to a decent sized vegetable garden is should be minimal. Um, you know, there's always these random cases where you know you can see a little more, but for the most part, they shouldn't do enough damage to really dent the number of crops you're getting uh, to impact. Okay. And Brent, really quickly, bringing you back on, what was the question you had about the on-the-shelf kind of over-the-counter products for deer? Well, I was just wondering, given I had purchased a product at the store that is made specifically for deer, rabbits, and or squirrels, Uh I was wondering, is Trent saying that really I'm probably going to find one not find one that's really going to be effective enough to to warrant the I mean these products cost twenty five to thirty dollars you know for a gallon yeah when you're when you're looking at that price range um, of any kind of repellent the the active ingredients are going to be so minimal that it's going to be something you're gonna have to spray every couple of days and especially if it rains um, now I do know I, I can't remember off the top of my head if Bob X has one that is safe for vegetables. Um, but they do have a little bit stronger of an at-home one that you can order. Um, it is going to be quite pricey. I mean, they, they average a two-and-a-half-gallon jug for about $160, $180. But 
I want to say the last time I looked into that, they did say it, it was safe for vegetables, but I would have to double check that. Okay. Yeah. And same, same with me. There's a lot of products on the market there. Brent, thank you so much for all of your very thoughtful questions for Trent. And I want to let you all know, Trent Ellis of Armor Wildlife Management. Check him out on Facebook. Just look up Armor A-R-M-O-R, Armor Wildlife Management on Facebook. And there's the page with just the prettiest little fawn you've ever seen, eating some (laughs) uh, tickweed maybe. And uh, that way you can get in touch with Trent. And Trent, we've got about 30 seconds here before the news, but you'll be coming back. But um, how do folks uh, find out your coverage area? What's your service area? So we service from the north side of Atlanta up to probably the, uh, the Tennessee line. And um, so we go as far over to the west as Dallas, Hiram area, and then on the east about Gainesville. So we've got a really wide uh, area that we service. Um, and so for the deer repellent side of it, it it's a little tighter because we're, we, we focus on the corridor of the, the Chattahoochee River. And so Johns Creek, Milton, Alpharetta, um, North Atlanta, Fulton, um, those are going to be your heavier deer populated areas. And so... Um, you know, don't hesitate to reach out if you're having issues with them with the ornamental plants. And you can call off the air right now and talk to Michael if you want Trent's phone number and get in touch with him that way. When we come back, we'll have a conversation with Charles Lampkin of Pike Nursery about mosquito control and more of your calls and time with Trent Ellis next on 95.5 WSB. Trees and Stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries on 95.5 WSB. Last half hour to go. In just a few minutes, we'll be talking to Pike Nursery Mosquito Control and some fabulous um, products at Pike Nursery locations to make your outdoor experience a little more enjoyable. But with me just for the next few minutes, uh, sticking with wildlife management and Trent Ellis of Armor Wildlife Management. Find him on Facebook and get in touch with Trent. Trent, you've been great. And off the air, you and I joking, uh, I had a caller, Bruce, who was calling and wanted kind of a list of maybe deer-resistant plants. And you and I kind of chuckled and was like, oh, that list is dwindling, isn't it? Yeah. (laughs) And I thought, okay, well, let's plant some cacti. And, you know, maybe the deer, that's about one of the only things they'll stay away from. And what'd you tell me? Yeah, no, I just had a a client sign up for (laughs) service and and they had this aloe-style cactus and they had nibbled the corner of it. That's insane. And Nothing um, is safe from deer. Oh, no. I mean, if it's <laughs> if it's green and it can be ingested, they yeah. will try to eat it. They'll try it, yeah. Um, they even try fake plants sometimes. So I'll, and I'm just like, wow, are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah, no. No, deer are really persistent little guys. So, but Bruce, to your question, I know you had to, you had to go, but uh, I will do a Facebook post on the Green and Growing WSB Facebook page with a list of plants listed by the University of Georgia Extension that are at least a little less palatable for deer. I'm not going to say that it's 100% guaranteed, and Pike has come on the show with some suggestions as well, telling us 
Hey, deer may try them, but they're less likely to try these. So thank you for the uh, Facebook post idea. So you had something, Trent, you wanted to mention about fawns. We talked about the active times of year right now. There are baby fawns. This is the time. Yeah. So I just wanted to just reiterate, you know, right now, um, the fawns are probably a few weeks old. And so they're now just starting to get a little active. So two things, you know, if you see a fawn bedded down in your yard or in the woods around your house, they are there on purpose. And so do not go out there and be like, oh, the mom left it. You know, I got to take care of it. No, the so fawns, when they're born, they're born with zero scent on them. And so it's a way for predators to not be able to smell them. And so the more that the mom interacts with the fawn, other than feeding times, the uh, just adds more scent to it. And so they stay away other than feeding and sleeping to um, keep the predators from knowing that they have a fawn. That's fascinating. So, yeah, when we see one that we think is abandoned, that's just the mom being smart. That's actually keeping it safe. Yes. Yeah. Now, and how so many, this is an ignorant question. Does she just give birth to one fawn at a time? No, actually, usually they have twins. Oh. And so it's very um, it's it's kind of in the middle. So you they usually have twins. Um Rarely you'll see them with one. Um, I actually just saw one that had triplets. <laughs> and um, and that's even, from what I can understand, even more rare to have triplets. And Because usually with uh, the stomach size and everything, one of the triplets usually will pass and, and have a stillborn. Um, but seeing actual triplets was really cool. That's a sturdy mom right there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, Trent Ellis of Armor Wildlife Management, thank you so, so much. And I know folks still have some questions or maybe potential customers who are like, that's my guy. I've done everything with the deer. I'm over it. Trent's an expert on this, has the chemicals that work and that are safe. How can folks find you? So they can reach out to me on Facebook with Facebook messaging now is, is super easy. Um, you can call me um, 404-889-9996 and uh, we can talk about the problems you're having and um, kind of create these programs for, for, for y'all too. And so Facebook messaging is pretty easy and Armor is A-R-M-O-R, Armor Wildlife Management and also uh, your, web, your um, email address. Email is trent at armorwildlifemanagement.com. Perfect. Well, it has been a blast having you back. Uh, We talked about snakes together a few months ago, and now deer is really the big bulk of your business, the deer repellent, and how Mm -hmm. much research you did and how many years it took to find the right partnership with this company now that you have that has the chemicals for the deer repellent. So um, making progress. Like you said, maybe one day it'll be good for crops and things too. I mean, science and technology is always changing, so I can't wait to stay updated on that. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for coming in, Trent. 404-872-0750. So in just a few minutes, we will talk to Charles Lampkin of Pike Nursery. But in the meantime, I will go ahead and take Bobby's call. Bobby calling from Stockbridge. Hey, good morning, Bobby. Welcome to the show. Good morning, Ashley. How are you doing this morning? Great. How about you? I'm doing well. Hey, uh, my wife has been asking me when we should be trimming back or pruning the hydrangeas. Ooh, I love that question. Now, what kind do you guys have? Do you have those big... Blue fluffy ones, or do you have the cone-shaped flowers? Uh, actually, they're kind of purple this year. I've got real purple and blue. Okay, okay. So, yep, so those are the mop head, the macrophylla. Yeah, it depends on the acidity of your soil. If you get that blue, they're just kind of blue naturally with the Georgia red clay. But if there's a little more lime in the soil, they can change to pink and purple. So you want to cut those right after they're finished blooming. So they've still got another month or two, um, and then you'll cut back those stems. And then next year, cut back the stems with the flowers on them. 
as the flowers start to fade. And the next year, the, the blooms will be on the old wood that's there from the year before. So that's probably a good practice right after they bloom. So trim the trim them in a couple of weeks, and then once they bloom again, trim them again. Is that correct? Yep. Yep, that's right. Yeah, once we wait too long, if if we prune those uh, mop head hydrangeas at the wrong time of year, then you're going to miss out on the blooms for one season. Got it. That explains a lot. All right. Thanks, Ashley. (laughs) Thank you. Have a great morning, Bobby. Thanks for the call. All right. Up now on the hotline, Charles Lampkin from Pike Nursery. Hello, my friend. Good morning. Good morning, Ashley. Happy Independence Day weekend. Oh, thank you very much. All right, so I have been looking forward to your call, and thank you for letting me push you back just a few minutes, but a big topic. Now that we've actually had some rain, some conditions are damp. Uh, We've got mosquitoes, Charles, and they're going to hang out all summer long, and you guys really have some good products to help make things a little more comfortable for the homeowner. We we do, and uh, you're right. Unfortunately, we have, like, the perfect breeding grounds with our humidity and rain and heat for mosquitoes around here, so... Yeah, we do. We do have some solutions for for some of our customers and and folks listening today, for sure. And so, one of the best ways to reduce mosquitoes, yet make sure you don't have any stagnant water. Now, what there are products, Charles, for people that that do have water sources, though, whether it's bird feeders or fountains or ponds. I mean, I think the motion of the water is probably pretty important. But what can we do to just make sure that they're not breeding in that water? All right, so we uh, we have, and you can find these probably readily available. They're they're uh, little pouches, little dunks that you'll put in your water, and it is the bacteria BT. So we're familiar with it when we're spraying for like uh, tent worms and and, and you know um, harmful caterpillars or army worms in the yard. Is BT. It's a it's a different formula of it, but that's exactly what it's doing. It's killing those soft brain larvae in the water. Um, and it's totally harmful if it's a pond. It's totally harmful to to your fish or birds that are coming in. It's just a, it's just a bacteria that attacks soft uh, membrane organ, organisms. Yeah, and it's not going to go after fish or anything like that. So that's really smart. We talked about BT earlier in the show. It's just a naturally occurring bacteria. So um, and dunks are great too. How are dunks sold? What does that look like? What does that product look like? Almost almost like a tea bag, I say. Um, it's a it's a little plastic bag with little granulars uh, that are that are in the bag that are that are visible. Um, but you usually get like a pack of twelve. Uh, one could last up to a month, and you can just repeat as necessary. Okay, so killing the life cycle that's really important. Getting to the mosquito larvae now. The the case where we already have them and we like sitting outside and we want to repel them. And I remember the bug zappers when I was a kid, you know, just listening to the sound of those bug zappers at night. But what are some good things to repel them? What are they not like? Um, so if you're on a patio and you're outside and you have some really good overhead fans or if you want to bring a little oscillating fan out to your porch, uh, wind, since they're not very good flyers are not very strong flyers uh winds or drafts around where you're seating is a it's a natural way to keep them away um one product that i i swear by because i use it myself are the thermocell clips um it's uh it's like the size of a remote control it gives you a 15 to 20 foot area radius um and it just emits a small little odor that you really can't smell yourself but it it is awesome 
to keep away mosquitoes. I use it on the boat. I use it hiking, camping, or on my back porch when I'm when I'm trying to grill out. So um, another kind of you know uh, less effective or a more effective way, but not harming you know other other insects or other organisms. And the thermocell, Charles, like when we use that clip on on our waistband or whatever, is that just a one time use, or can we actually put that away and then use it you know again a couple of days later? Oh, so it, you can buy you can buy recharge uh, little kits, um, the little butane cartridge that heats up a, a heating pad, and those heating pads in general. So um, each little kit or each little butane charge and pad will last for probably up to if you ran it eight hours straight, you know you'd probably you'd probably run its course. Um, but you can buy the little recharging kits. I think it comes three to a pack. And uh, so you can just have it, you know, as needed. Okay. All right. And so when we go into the greenhouse, you know, people have always heard, well, citronella plants or different herbs or things like that that may repel them, you know. And I mean, shoot, even if it doesn't, I'm sure it has some redeeming qualities for sure. But even if it doesn't, something that you can enjoy that smells really nice to have in your livable space, what kind of plants are we looking at? Yeah. So um, a lot of your natural um, you know, bug sprays. Now, if you look at the active ingredients, it's citronella, uh, which is a variety of geranium. There's probably lavender oils in there. There's probably rosemary oils in there. And, and those, those extracts actually do work up to a certain effect. The plant itself, it's going to smell pretty to you, but until those, those oils are, are crushed, that is the actual repellent. So, the smell alone, unless you were laying like in a bed of citronella geraniums, <laughs> maybe then that would work. But the smell alone isn't necessarily going to keep them away. But think about any of your natural or organic bug sprays. Look at those active ingredients. A lot of those are the oils of the botanicals off of these plants that we're selling for for um, insect relief. Lemongrass is a very popular one. A lot of your herbs. And, of course, the, uh, that citronella geranium. So I think that's kind of nice. You're sitting out there, ruffle the leaves, crush them, rub them on your skin. All of that's going to be safe, and that really accentuates the scents and the oils in it. Um, eliminating mosquitoes. So spray products that are you know, good for us to use outdoors to actually kill those mosquitoes. Mm-hmm. We have to be strategic, and, of course, because you've mentioned a couple of times, Charles, which I so appreciate. You know, some of the sprays aren't necessarily selective, so this needs to be kind of our last, our last method. But if you have young children that are just get getting eaten up, you've got to do something, right? Sure, sure. If you have, if you have a party, uh, you know people are going to be buying. You got twenty or thirty people. Last thing you want is everyone like running inside because <laughs> of the mosquitoes. Um, so one thing to one thing to think about is where to properly spray. Uh, mosquitoes aren't in your flower beds. They're not in your lawn. They're coming from, they're coming from a wood line. They're coming from an area with a lot of decomposing matter, an area that stays, uh, wet longer, an area that doesn't get a lot of light. Those are where the breeding grounds are. So that's where the actual mosquitoes are coming from. So let's concentrate on where to spray first. So spraying one of these products right into your lawn isn't really going to help with mosquitoes. So you're really creating like a perimeter. Um, and proper time to spray is going to be in the evening or very, very early in the morning when the insect activity is, is at a minimum. Um, 
avoid spraying um, on windy, really windy days because the because that product can can drift. Um, but it's very important to spray where the insects are coming from, not not exactly where you're getting bit or eaten, um, but you're really creating a, a perimeter. And and I've used those products safely. Um, they they do work. Some of the products work up to two to three weeks. Wow. Um, some of the like your yard fogs that you can buy in one of those cans. That's a good twenty-four hour uh, product. Again, if you're having one of those one of those parties or barbecues for your friends, spray your perimeter. Good a good twenty-four hours without mosquito and, and good mosquito relief there. But again, just be sensible when you're spraying those and and again spray where the mosquitoes are coming from, not exactly where you are getting bitten. Good point. Good point. Well, Charles Lampkin from Pike Nursery, thank you so much for all of the tips and some of the ideas and products. And of course, all of the stuff that we talked about can be found uh, at Pike Nursery. How many locations and how do we find where they are? Yeah, you always you always trip me up on this, but in Georgia, <laughs> I think it's 17 right now. Amazing. Um, but you can find any one of those locations on our website and you can uh, count them and and quote me wrong if you'd like to. <laughs> I think you're right. I, I think you're right. 15, 16, 17, but there's a lot. There's a lot around Metro Atlanta. Guaranteed to be one close to you. Have a safe and happy weekend. Thanks for all you do, Charles. Thank you, Ashley. We'll talk to you later. All right. Thank you so much. Yeah, tips to keep those pesky bugs at bay. No one wants to be out with the itch of mosquitoes. And I've got some poison ivy right now. I don't know which I'd rather have, mosquitoes or poison ivy. But nonetheless, take a few more calls. When we return, you're listening to Green and Growing on WSB. The update on the weekend weather brought to you by Finley Roofing. Scattered thunderstorms afternoon and evening, most likely today and tomorrow with highs in the upper 80s. Channel 2 meteorologist Brad Nitz has the complete forecast coming up. My thanks to Andrew Bohanko earlier in the show, sustainability coordinator for Mercedes-Benz Stadium. you got to check out the cool recycling programs they have in effect there, and Trent Ellis of Armor Wildlife Management for spending so much time with us, and Charles Lampkin from Pike Nursery. Have time for one more call, and Kristen in Woodstock, it's going to be you. Good morning. Great. Thank you so much. Well, I've been one of the lucky ones that has had a lot of rain lately, and so I've seen mushrooms sprouting in my front yard, and I don't know if I should just pick them, mow them. I'm worried about mowing will spread the spores and create a bigger mess. Um, so I'm, I'm not quite sure what to do. So they grow on different materials, and oftentimes if we see them in mass, it's something that's decaying. It could be the decay of maybe hardwood chips or mulch, uh, wheat straw, logs, and you're saying they're in the grass? Yes. In that case, I wouldn't worry a whole lot. I think the fungal spores were probably just you know, maybe overwintered or whatever, and they're they're coming up from that. No need to pick them, though. No need to spray them with continuous uh, mowing and the fact that the grass is going to be getting the sunlight that it needs and all of that, considering you have the right grass for the right area, right? Like if you have a warm season grass and it needs full sun, it's going to thrive in full sun like Bermuda, Zoysia, uh, Centipede, and all right. of that. When it gets the sun that it needs, they are going to go away. So I wouldn't be really concerned um, and actually, what's funny is there is a, for folks that are like mushroom enthusiasts, there's a Facebook page, Kristen, and this is kind of this whole un- underground world of mushrooms. I'm trying to find it. It's Mushroom Hunters of North Georgia. 
And that's a Facebook group that like posts okay. the most <laughs> wild pictures of mushrooms. And you could post the mushroom on there and be like, what is this? Is it harmful? Is it toxic? And these people, like 5,000 people that are passionate about mushrooms that identify them, I kind of get on there every now and then just to see some neat things. But mushroom hunters in North Georgia, who knew? Okay. So <laughs> just kind of a ignore it and go to that page and just see what they say. <laughs> yeah, I would be curious to see they can help you identify what it is for sure but it nature will run its course those fungal spores will, will die out and as long as you're maintaining the grass in a healthy way, yeah. they're, they're not a big deal. Okay, great. Good to know. Thank you so much. Thank you. Glad you called and thanks to all of you for being a part of the show. Thanks to Trent for dealing with my crazy all over the place self this morning and DeMarco and Michael and Abe having to deal with me too. It was a fun show but I'm going to go home and take a nap. (laughs) It's been a long week. But you guys have a very happy and safe 4th of July. I'm going to leave you with Dave Baker and the Home Fix-It Show coming up right after 9 o'clock. Have a wonderful weekend. Talk soon.